hello and welcome to our podcast. We hope it encourages and inspires you. Please head to our website for more information on what is happening at Ashburton New Life or to get in touch. One of our team would love to talk to you. Here's today's message. Can you hear me now? There we are. Just as a personal note of introduction, I'm here, I'm on team here at Ashburton New Life Church. I am married to Sharon and next month we celebrate our 36th wedding anniversary. Um, just something else, when I was growing up as a young lad, I grew to like football and cricket, and over the years I became particularly fond of test match cricket, especially the final art of actually studying it and looking at the technicalities. And since our immigration to New Zealand, I've learned to support the Black Caps and the Proteas and any other team that is playing Australia. Um, So today we are continuing our series on parables. And just to recap, that Jesus taught, used to teach using stories called parables. And a parable was usually a fictitious story which illustrated a a moral or spiritual truth. And today we are going to study a parable involving two groups of people which came from opposite ends of society. And by making them as his main actors in the parable, Jesus was really challenging his listeners' perceptions and impressions about these two groups of people and also what, it would, what would qualify a person to actually enter the kingdom of heaven. And in the process, we, the reader, also get challenged and our expectations get turned upside down because what we initially thought to be true doesn't always turn out to be true. And so the two groups that I'm referring to are the Pharisees and the tax collectors. And if you have been in church in the last few weeks, you would notice that the Pharisees have been coming up in both of the actual teachings. So to help us get into this parable a little bit, let's just look at some background about them. So on the Pharisees, well, they really saw themselves as being the pillars of the Jewish community. And they saw themselves at the top of the actual moral standing ladder. They dressed and they looked like seriously religious people. They wore these long flowing robes. They had headgear that looked like Christchurch's road cones. And they even strapped to their left arm a small little box called containing Hebrew texts. And they also sometimes attached it to their forehead. And they did that because of the actual command given in Deuteronomy 6.8. And their whole life mission was to enforce the 600 plus laws in the Torah on the Jewish community. So they were kind of like the policemen of the day. They would aspire to lead synagogues and they were often members of the Sanhedrin which was the Jewish Supreme Council. Now here's an interesting and amusing fact about them. The Pharisees actually had seven types of subgroups and one of those subgroups was called the blind or bruised and bleeding Pharisees. And the reason was that they used to walk around with their heads down and their eyes closed And the reason for that is so they didn't have to look at women or any other unclean people. And so the result was that they would end up knocking their heads into walls, etc., and hence their name. So it was no surprise that these people were not very popular amongst their own people. However, just a point of interest, there were some really God-fearing Pharisees. Do you remember Nicodemus, who Jesus called Israel's teacher in John 3.10? And there was also Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph became a disciple of Jesus. 
And Joseph went to Pilate and he requested the body of Jesus after his crucifixion. So, turning to tax collectors. They were Jews whose job was to collect taxes from their own people on behalf of the Roman government. And they often sat in tax booths and they were guarded by Roman soldiers. They were not paid wages, but they earned commission on the taxes that were paid. So their, their income could be pretty good. So imagine today if Inland Revenue decided to charge you double tax so they could pay their wages. Well, that's what these guys did to their Jewish people. And of course they were despised by the community. They had no real friends except other tax collectors and people from the criminal element. And so they were viewed as traitors and sellouts and legalized thieves. And Jewish leaders considered them to be unclean because of their association with Rome. And hence they were barred from the synagogue. Now you really need to hold on to that point because it comes up later in the actual parable. And if you were unclean, you had a very little chance of actually getting into the kingdom of heaven under the law of Moses. They had the same low status as women. And like women, they really couldn't give evidence in court. So the tax electors and the Pharisees were really at opposite ends of the, the social stratum level. Both groups probably wouldn't have had much in common with Jesus either. But here, Jesus tells a parable that includes only them. Why did he do this? I think he was doing this because he was really wanting to stir things up a little bit. He wanted to really teach his audience about the real meaning of righteousness before God and men. And then he even adds a subplot into the actual parable to extend his teaching to include on how our own pride and humility will impact our ability to get into the kingdom of heaven. One thing we can discover about the parables is that they tend to have layers in the teaching. So on the top layer you might have something about righteousness and honour before God and you peel that away and then there's a teaching about pride and you peel that away and there's a teaching about humility. Jesus was like that, that's how he taught. He really seemed to be intent on waking his audience to a different way of thinking and thus turning their expectation and ours as the reader upside down. So let's read from Luke 18, 9 to 14. Verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down upon everyone else, Jesus tells this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus was always aware of the bigger picture. He always knew the motives of his audiences. People often came to test and challenge Jesus, and in turn he would test and challenge them. If you notice, Jesus tended to ask a lot of questions of the other people. 
And then they would walk away unable and not sure how to answer. So as we've already seen, the religious people of the day, they live by keeping the law of Moses. And they judge others by that law. Even though God said that was his, he was to make judgment and give judgment. And they really thought that if they did enough law keeping, that would really be enough that would get them right with God. But Jesus teaches that we are all sinners. And that no one could be really holy enough to stand before a righteous God. Not even them, not then, and not now. And this teaching is really central to our faith now as it was then. Jesus really emphasized that people could do nothing by themselves. None of their works of service would actually qualify to get them into heaven. So let's look again at verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down upon everyone else, Jesus told this parable. On the word some, in those days it was the Pharisees, but these days it could refer to any one of us. That is anyone who is filled with confidence or, or arrogance about their own righteousness. That's the person he is talking to today. An example. Does anyone remember their school days? when maybe you were not very good at spelling or maths or athletics and you think you're coming last and then poor old Fotherington Thomas, he comes in after you in the cross country and then he even gets more words wrong than you in the spelling. And you, it's like, man, I'm okay. At least I'm not as bad as that kid. But really, comparing ourselves favorably to others is only really a great way just to boost our own confidence, no matter how false it really is. So when we look at others who are failing and then secretly really feel good about ourselves by seeing how much worse they are doing than us, that is pride at the expense of another and is pretty cruel. But the pride really identified in this parable is so much more because the parable is teaching against the sin of spiritual pride. Spiritual pride really means that in our opinion we are more important to God or more worthy than everyone else around us. We may even think that God loves us and blesses us more than our neighbours because we are better. In the text, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, so we can think, phew, at least he's not talking to me. But as soon as we start thinking like that, these words are not for us, there's a, really chance, there's a real chance that Jesus is actually talking to us too, so we really need to sit up and take notice. So let's continue to look at the parable verse by verse. Verse 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray. So there are two men. So the audience has really been introduced to the idea that there's a, going to be a comparison. Two men in a story normally implies a good guy and a bad guy. And here it comes. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The crowd would easily have recognized the two characters in the parable because they were part of everyday life in Israel. And they would have made assumptions about who was the good guy and who was the bad guy. So one person they would have expected to go to the temple on a regular basis, and the other person, the tax collector, who probably hadn't been there for ages. So why was he even there? Perhaps they were expecting him to be chased away. We don't know. 
in all likelihood, the crowd was probably expecting a teaching from Jesus on the bad tax collector and the good Pharisee, on honesty versus dishonesty, or religious man versus sinner. But we as the readers obviously have been pre-warned about the reason Jesus told this parable. We know to whom it is addressed. It's really people who thought much about themselves. And we know that Jesus, just like he did in other parables, will probably highlight the unexpected. And so the Pharisee gets to pray first. We read, the Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of, a, of all I get. So he starts his prayer with a thank you, which should have been a really good start. But instead of thanking God for his, God's goodness, greatness, mercy, compassion, provision, etc., he really thanks God for his own goodness, his own righteousness, and his own generosity. In the process, he is really telling God how, how blessed God is to have him. And then he compares himself to the usual group of wrongdoers, the real criminals, the robbers, the evildoers, and the adulterers. And that's really not a great comparison, is it? He really wants God and his fellow men to hear him praying loudly to see him in the best possible light. He really doesn't have to do too much when he, if he's comparing himself against that group. We really see that he's not comparing himself against other prophets and other holy men because maybe he won't stack up. So the main points of his prayer are about comparison to those whom he sees as lawbreakers, those below him and unequal in status. His prayer has no elements of confession, no humility. It's all about self-congratulation. He doesn't even think about asking for forgiveness for his sins. Maybe because he doesn't think he's got anything to confess. He's kept all those outward laws, so he's probably judged himself well. He doesn't ask for any help of any sort. He just wants God and man to know that he was ticking all the right boxes through his giving and his fasting. His prayer is really a reflection of how he thinks. It's all about his performance. Now we have to go back to the Old Testament. Leviticus 16 just recommends fasting one day annually as required by God's law for the atonement of sin. But our Pharisee fasts twice a week. So this, that's so much more than God was actually requiring. And my observation here is he was really making sure that the tax collector got to hear that prayer. And on his giving, the Pharisee was not giving more than was expected. He was giving the 10%. There was no sacrificial or extravagant giving on his part. He had no other revelation other than what was expected of the, and the minimum that was, he was paying. Matthew 12, 34 tells us, For out of, the over, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Words can betray our real inner self. And they reflect the Pharisee's prideful heart. In life, there are times when the words that we speak or the behaviours that we manifest can reveal us behaving like a Pharisee. So we really need to be on the lookout of this. 
And I would suggest to everyone here that maybe if you have a close friend who you've built a good relationship over time, you give them permission to speak into your life and to pull you up when you, they see you behaving like a Pharisee, where your talk is, is unwholesome. So let's have a look at the second character in the story, the tax collector. But the tax collector stood at a distance. Now when Jesus uses the word but, it's pretty important. He's usually going to surprise us. And he's going to really highlight something different from the expected. But, unlike the arrogant Pharisee, the tax collector stood back at a distance. And he was at a distance because tax collectors in that day were barred from participating in ceremonial rituals. He had no right of access to those ceremonies. And by being reticent, he was not wanting to draw any attention to himself. And the verse goes on, he would not even look up to heaven. He is so humble that he dares not even look up towards God. And he knows how unclean he is. He is really expecting nothing. His posture speaks of his unworthiness before God. And the burden of shame really weighs quite heavily on him. But beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. He was really so ashamed that he was beating his breast. And that's where our heart is. It's a symbol of saying to God, my heart is bad. I really need help. It was a desperate action of repentance. And he was showing no false pretense. He wasn't trying to impress God at all. Just absolute recognition that he was a sinner. Pouring out his heart to God just asking for mercy. His prayer is really no more than just a few words, but it's a picture of true humility. And you get a glimpse of the man's heart. He's come to the temple for a real encounter with God, not to impress others. And the prayer that he speaks is the prayer that God is waiting to hear from us too. The tax collector exhibits precisely what Jesus spoke about in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that's from Matthew 5.3. Being poor in spirit means that we have really nothing to offer God to atone for our sin. We come to God empty, impoverished, despised, bankrupt, desperate. The tax collector, he recognizes his sinful nature. And he seeks the only thing that can bridge the gap between himself and God. He pleads to God for mercy. So let's read verse 14. What verdict did Jesus give at the end of his story? And it says, I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified before God. Jesus taught the crowd that the tax collector went home away justified, made righteous before God, because he had humbled himself, con confessing that no amounts of works could really save him from his sin. And then Jesus says, For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. We can learn something from the tax collector's two-line prayer. Our own prayers can be short too, but
But most important, they need to be desperate and honest. God knows our hearts already, but do we? We really have to recognize our own sinfulness. And if we can't see it, we really ask God to reveal it to us. Jesus is the only way to have our sins removed. We really need to call upon him. It's his righteousness and not ours that really cleanses us. We all need to show God that we know and we believe that we need a saviour. The tax collector, well, he's a broken man. All he does, he just pleads for mercy and grace and he acknowledges the burden of sin on his life. And finally, when, so when Jesus speaks, would the listening crowd have been able to make the connection? Would they have realized who in the crowd that Jesus was talking to? Who was his target audience? The irony is that Jesus was talking to a crowd of people who think that he was talking to a different grouping of people. They don't recognize themselves in the story until Jesus explains it. And in the time of Jesus, God's people were really completely starved of any relationship with him. Judaism had become a religion of regulations rather than relationships. And they believed that their lives were totally based on their good works. And so that would place the Pharisee at the top of the measuring pole, stretching up to God. The Pharisees believed that they were justified because of all their good works and that they could earn their way into right standing with God. So imagine the shock on Jesus' listeners when he says that the tax collector, the most hated of all Jews, went home justified before the Lord as a result of his humility. And imagine the shock and anger on the Pharisees in hearing that all they had worked for, all they had strived for, all the rules and regulations that they had followed, according to this rabbi, really placed them in a lower level than any other Jew in the sight of God. And so what about us today? Can we, who are neither Pharisees or tax collectors, still be reached by this parable? The parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector really offers good news for each of us. And the principles that Jesus teaches here in Luke 18 is that our hearts need to reflect humility and not perfection. And the way to God is not through one of works, but of grace. And Jesus teaches that whatever weakness that we have, whatever sin that we struggle with, all God asks us that we come before him and really plead for mercy. He requires of us a repentant heart. And a humble heart pleases God. Isaiah 66 verse 2 captures what God desires of us. This is the one I esteem. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. This parable has really helped me to better understand righteousness before God and how God exalts the humble. I pray it will awaken something in you to better understand what God sees as important to him rather than what man sees. So how can we humble ourselves? And as I finish off here, here are some thoughts on how we can remain humble each day. 
Mel and his team. Come on. And these are all statements that contain the word I, as they are meant to resemble a personal commitment. And there are eight statements for us. The first one, to humble myself, I voluntarily confess my sin. From our story today, we learn that God exalts those who recognize and admit their sin and plead for mercy. We really need to establish a pattern in our lives of daily confession. Amen. Secondly, <clears throat> to humble myself, I give up my time and my finances, often sacrificially and anonymously. When we give without others knowing, we can't be thanked or exalted. When we give sacrificially, it means we are really putting God first in our lives. Number three, to humble myself, I treat others well, even those I don't like. That's quite a hard one, isn't it? Mm. We really need to see God's stamp of creation on, and value on those people too. Since God sees value in them, we need to do the same. Number four, to humble myself, I ask for help. Let's not be too proud and obstinate to ask for God's help. And we can ask God for help even when our lives are not going well and we really don't deserve it. But this is, what we, but this is really when we get to experience God's grace. It's His unearned, undeserved, unfailing, unmerited favour towards us. I would say we also need to be strategic in our prayer life. We need to be pretty direct in terms of what we are asking God help for. Don't beat around the bush. Be direct. Explain to God and, and put your petitions before Him and never stop praying. Interesting, the parable before this one in the book of Luke talks about the persistent widow. She never stopped going to go and see the judge until her need was met. Number five, to humble myself, I say sorry to others when I am wrong. That's quite a hard one too. It's really not easy to admit that we may be wrong. But if we do it, we can really lessen any potential conflict which could come our way. Number six is to practice wholesome talk. Really don't get caught up in bad, using bad language office gossip, slanderous conversations. Be a point of difference. Show others another way through the words that we use. Number seven is to humble myself. I need to recognize that others are entitled to a point of view that is really different to mine. It's okay in any conversation we recognize that we're not always right. It's okay to agree to disagree. In 2 Timothy 2.23, Paul warns us not to get involved in foolish arguments which, because we know they lead to quarrels. And these are really wise words. And number eight, to humble myself, I must keep praying and reading God's word daily. Jesus took time each day to communicate and pray to the Father. Should we really not follow his lead and do the same? 
And at the beginning of the year, Pastor Carl challenged us to learn Psalm 23. How are we getting on? Turn to your neighbor and say, either I know the psalm or I haven't started, I'm intending to start. <laughs> the word for today in January this year had a few days of teaching called Meditate Percolate. And readers were really encouraged to take a phrase or an idea from scripture and let it percolate in their minds and brew. This, was an, this is another encouraging way of actually learning scripture. And finally, we have looked at a story of two men going to the temple to pray. And as I finish off, there's just a note of caution. And there are two warnings which come out of this parable. Firstly, so while we now may want to identify with the tax collector, we must not fall into the error that the God is commending a sinful life rather than a life of devotion. So just be aware of that. And secondly, we must just not be careful not to despise the Pharisee in a similar self-righteous manner as the Pharisees despised the tax collector. Let us pray. Lord, just help us to open the hearts, our hearts and allow the Spirit to guide us in our daily lives. Let's allow the Spirit to lead us to a life lived in the new covenant of grace. Thank you for your unmerited favour towards us, Lord, even though we really don't deserve it. Lord, help us to walk humbly with you and may you continue to keep us grounded in holy humility day after day, week after week, month after month. And when we fall, and when we fail, it's really so comforting, Lord, to know that you're still able to accept us as we are. You can offer us forgiveness, and you can restore us back to wholeness. Lord, help us to be strategic prayer warriors. But as we come to you, help us to do it with an attitude of faith and humility. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Amen.